Welcome to the Monsters of Socks podcast, where, depending on where you look, you may see we have a logo now. Dan, we have a logo. We got a logo. Isn't that cool? It's very colorful. It's a pretty cool one, I think. Um, it's better than I could have done. It's one that... Uh, it was your idea. Take a bow. Yeah. It was my idea to have a monster scaling the green monster. And after some back and forth, we, we have a new logo. And it is uh, a new day for the Monsters of Socks podcast network. And it's a new week. The Red Sox were, they finished up their win streak at what, eight? They won eight in a row? Is that right? Eight in a row. Eight in a row. Lost uh, split with the Braves. Lost game one behind an ugly Nick Pavetta start. Uh, one last night behind a beautiful Brian Bayo start. Actually, about last night's game, Brian. I don't know if you connected the dots here like I did. Last night, Brian Bayo pitched outstanding. Six innings. Uh, I believe only I believe five strikeouts. One earned. Um, Tristan Casas hit a giant game-breaking bomb in the later innings. Jaron Duran. Had another outstanding game, a couple of hits, stolen base. Um, so you know what that makes last night, don't you, Brian? Oh, no, I don't. What is it? That's a Dave Dabrowski masterclass. Woo! Brian Bayo, Tristan Casas, and Jaron Duran leading Woo! the way. <laughs> I will say it will be interesting. So Jaron Duran is – I, I should have I should double check this for the show. He's believe it or not, like creeping up on Alex Verdugo in the team's war <laughs> leaderboard, um, despite the fact that he started the year down in Worcester. Um, and he's he's kind of he's. I mean, Verdugo is keeping pace. It's not like he's slumping at all. But if Verdugo does slump at all, Jaron Duran may pass him um, for for team war. And of course, it wouldn't. I don't think it would surprise anybody if Brian Bayo ends up being the best pitcher on this team. Um, that would be interesting. There would be an interesting little development. If J- I mean, Jaron Duran is not going to. <laughs> He's not going to lead the Red Sox in war. We all know that. But if he ends up actually taking a stranglehold of this center field job, as he appears to be doing, um, we could be in a position where, you know, Brian Bayo, a Dabrowski guy, is the key guy in the rotation, and Jaron Duran, one of the key guys in the, in the lineup. Oh, like I thought I said, he wasn't a scouting guy, though. Yeah, thought all well, he did was trade for star players. You know, I so I looked something up before we started this. After I realized I was going to start with the bit, and look, am I trolling a little bit here? Yes, but I do think we as Red Sox fans actually need to agree on the record here and agree about the history of the last ten years of this franchise. <clears throat> as everybody knows. The Red Sox farm system was ranked 30th, last in Major League Baseball when Heim Bloom took over. And the general narrative as a result of that is that, you know, Dabrowski is a guy that strips the farm system. And he did make a ton of trades of, of high impact prospects. We all know that. Yohan Mankata, Michael Kopech, Mauricio Dubon, Manny Margot, um, Luis Anderson Espinosa. Um, most of them were outstanding trades. I would say like pretty much all of them, but the Pomeranz trade were outstanding deals. Um, 
But now we're looking at this, and it's a couple years later, and now Duran is turning into a player. Bayo is absolutely a player. Casas, uh, we still have high hopes for. And I looked back at the drafts. The guy who needs to be getting blamed here is Ben Sherrington. The person who's at fault for the Red Sox having the 30th best farm system in, in 2019 is Ben Charrington, 100%. You ready to hear some names? Yes. All right. Charrington was in charge of the Red Sox for one, two, three, four drafts. 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015. Here are his top 10 picks for each of those four drafts. Feel free to stop me if you ever recognize a name. First pick you ever made, Devin Marrero. Then Brian Johnson, Pat Light, Jamie Callahan, Austin Maddox, Ty Buttery, Mike Aguilera, Justin Haley, Kyle Krause, Nathan Minnick, Mike Miller, JT Watkins. Those are the first 10 picks in the 2012 draft. He did get, in the 18th round, a guy you have heard of. Named Shaq Thompson. So great, great job identifying athletic talent there, Ben Charrington. Not, not a great job identifying baseball talent. <laughs> 2013. Boy, this list is really something. Trey Ball, Teddy Stankowitz, John Denny, Miles Smith, Corey Luttrell, Jordan Austin, Mike Adams, Forrest Alday, Kyle Martin, and Taylor Grover. I will give him credit. In the 26th round, he did get Mauricio Dubon. 2014. Did, did you say Taylor Grover? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Wow, I didn't think we'd have a chance to get your Grover impression out twice in one month on the Monster Shock podcast. <laughs> uh, th- you know what, though? I, I actually didn't even – that's a really good list of names in general, Grover inside. Grover aside, Forrest all day Whew. and – Trey Ball. I mean, Trey Ball is a great name. Uh, one, of my, pick, but... one of my best tweets ever was very simple. And it was Trey Ball, more like Trey Bad, but the first way. <laughs> oh, that is good. Well done. All right, let's see if you have any puns for the 2014 class. First round, Michael Chavis. Second round, Michael Kopech. Then Sam Travis, Jake Cozart, Kevin McAvoy, Josh Ockamy. Danny Mars, Reed Riley, Ben Moore, and Kevin Steen. I mean, Kopech is good. So Kopech's good, yeah. And then 2015, his last draft, uh, first-round pick, Andrew Benintendi, Austin Rye, Tate Matheny, Jaeger Rusconi. Might be Jaeger Rusconi. I don't know. We're never going to know how he pronounces his name because no one knows who he is. Travis Lakins, Ben Taylor, Logan Allen, Tucker Tubbs, and Mitchell... Gonzulos. Yeah, I mean, we talked last week about if in the hypothetical situation where this team, the 2023 team, was to like it all imitate the 2013 team, why doesn't Ben Charrington get recognition for that team? And I think this is probably part of why. Yeah. I need to. So, I mean, that, I is, to... that is Andrew Benintendi and Michael Kopech and nothing else and four years of drafts. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, I, the, and then when you when you flip it around on Dombrowski, if uh, if J- Jaron Duran 
had enough at bats to qualify, which of course would probably level things out. Uh, his 176 WRC plus would be fifth in the majors, just ahead of Ronald Cunha Jr. So, <laughs> so he is. Uh, so he is, in fact, pounding the shit out of the ball. Do you you want to take a guess at who's number one among qualified batters in WRC plus? Um. So, so you said qualified, so it's not Adam Duvall. No. Uh, it's not Verdugo, or we would know about that. No, 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 it's not. No. Durant uh, would easily be the highest on the Red Sox. Let's see. I know I know James Outman must be up there. He's been he's had a hell of a start to the year. You will not get I would have to give you. 25 guesses and a couple hints for you to get it. All right. Well, give me a couple hints. Because right. 25 guesses will not be good radio. Okay. Uh, I'd have to look it up, but I think he plays for the worst team in the league. Certainly the worst team in the AL. Okay. Um... Not the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the worst team in the league right now is the Oakland A's. All right, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Who is on the Oakland A's? Let's see. The A's actually have two in the top 11. They have one. What? Number, number one and number 11 in WRC+. Plus. Oh, my goodness. Um, shit. It's the most outrageously A's thing for these two guys to be up there. I'll even tell you, the right, eleven number eleven is Ryan Noda, uh, but number okay, one, yep, I knew that. Number one by a considerable margin over uh, Yandy Diaz is Brent Rooker. He has a one ninety nine WRC plus, easily. He's 15, fourteen points ahead of Yandy Diaz. Brent Rooker, yes. ten home runs, three seventeen batting average, four. He's, he's, he's slashing three seventeen, four thirty six, fifty four. Wow, it's incredible. That is incredible. Um, God, well, I mean, what a what a weird, sad, pathetic team. I mean, everyone's calling them a Triple A team, and by results, you can't argue with that. But uh, at least they have something to watch out there in Oakland. I, Don't they? If I'm looking, I obviously have not watched one inning of the A's this year, but the list maybe I should check out Brent Rooker. Their list: the top four in WRC plus are Brent Rooker, Yandy Diaz, Matt Chapman, and Sean Murphy. Didn't three of those players play for the A's? Absolutely, yes, yeah. Oh my! Oh and my. Yandy Diaz probably was available to the A's. At some he's point. very. He's like he didn't play, but he definitely is like. An A's special. But anyhow, enough about that. Good job, Dumbo. Good job. It's paying off. It was nice to see Duran snap uh, the little slump he had gotten into. But I mean... Uh, he's up to... Just to just to also fall back on what I speculated before. He's up to 1.3 B-War on the season. Verdugo's at 1.5. It's wild, man. It is absolutely wild. And... Uh, as good as the offense has been, it's this, you know, he really, he's stealing bases like uh, really, yeah. really frequently. And, and given how the game has changed, uh, 
it's it's as I said, I mean, this is more than I could have expected, and who knows how long this will last, but you know, he only had to move a little bit toward a game that was moving toward him, and it seems like that he's done it. So yeah, and you're and you're right, he's still in bases, he's playing solid defense in center field. I mean, I guess now that now that I think about it, I'm sort of shocked that Yoshida is is not higher up on the Red Sox war leaderboard, but I guess that's purely a testament to you know, Duran's all around effectiveness. So she is actually, this is, I mean, I know that I know these numbers mean nothing at this point in the season, but it's still interesting. I'm just going to give you the top names here. This is baseball. Well, if, he had been sh- if he had been shitty, we would say those numbers mean something. So we'll give him a little bit of credit, yeah. right? Yeah. This, this is going to shock you actually. I think <laughs> I look at this list. So I told you, I told you Verdugo's one and Duran is two. You want to take a guess who number three is? Is it Connor Wong? It's Connor Wong. <laughs> um, I get. I mean, I, and I'm, I suppose he's getting most of that value from the outstanding catcher defense that he's providing. Um, quick plug for OverTheMonster.com. If you want to read about Jacob Roy, wrote about Connor Wong's defensive resurgence. I mean, he is he's he's thus far making a case at being the best defensive catcher in baseball, which is not uh, what he what he was known for as a prospect. I mean, he's an athlete. The guy, the guy is definitely an athlete for a catcher, I and mean, he can and still does play in the infield. But I don't think anyone was was seeing him being a, a defensive stalwart back there. But how he is did they? Uh, how did they get Connor Wong? I can't remember. I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. Just I think. Sure. I think. Well, you know what they they, they um, when they beat the uh, Cardinals in the 2013 World Series, they got Connor Wong as an award because he is Connor Wong's or Colton Wong's younger brother. Oh, I thought you were going to say he was his son. I didn't, <laughs> no, no. That, it does make, that makes way yeah. more sense. I was gonna be like, no, that's, that's actually not, Colton that's Wong. actually not true by the way. But <laughs> you clarify, I did, I did assume for most of my life, for most of my life that I knew who Connor Wong was, I was just like, well, he must be Colton Wong's brother yeah. because they're two dudes who play baseball with the last name Wong. And they both have like, country singer first base first names <laughs> so i was like okay they must be brothers but they're not they are not remotely related it'd be like if connor joe's brother was colton joe colton joe I don't colton know joe, joe dimaggio is. <laughs> that's good is that it did you just i just did that just freestyled out right there yeah who is colton joe though Oh no, Colton Joe is not a real person. Connor Joe is a real person. Oh, wait, who is Connor Joe? He's a first base slash outfielder for the Pirates, who's, I believe, like top 25 in WRC Plus this year. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I do know you're talking about One of the great names. That's like, I just. Yeah. Connor Joe. Joe is a last name, is just fantastic. It is. Well, yeah. I mean, he is Korean, so that's probably. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. You want to guess who number four is? Yeah, I'm guessing it's not Yoshida, given our it's not Yoshida talk. And I'm, I mean, is it Devers? It's Josh Winkowski. <laughs> Man, life finds a way. Yeah. Oh my but god! But okay, in, in your defense, and like I said, it's ridiculous to look at these numbers at this point. Anyway, uh, but Josh Winkowski is. Four at 1.1. Rafael Devers also has 1.1, and he is listed as at five. So there must be a decimal points there. Okay. Um, all right. I won't make you guess the rest of them. 
Number six, Adam Duvall. Bringing in strong there <laughs> with point nine. Number seven, Mr. 400 himself, Kenley Jansen. And then eight is finally Yoshida, who only has point six war on the year so far. And then rounding out the top ten, John Schreiber is also at point six. And Chris Martin, this that really surprised me. Chris Martin is at point five somehow. That's because Fitzy Fitzy is juicing the vote. That's why. That's probably. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. What do you think about Kenley throwing 99 just being like, was just like, this is number 400. I'm just, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. That's something, isn't it? Wouldn't it be funny if it turns out he's been working too slowly all this time. And the one thing everyone was like, sort of freaked out about in the off season, but not really freaked out about it. We just had to fill time with something to talk about. That was Kenley Jansen going to respond to the pitch clock. And it turns out he's responding to the pitch clock by, having one of the best years of his career. <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that for some people it's going to help. Uh and yeah. you could uh, uh equate that with like the sh- literally the shot clock in basketball uh in the sense that you have less time to think about these things maybe it just becomes more routine. I did however want to share one thing I thought about this week, this is totally random, but it's from a 2004 game, and we can talk about 2004 at any time because we're allowed for the rest of our lives. Um, I was at a Sunday afternoon game at Fenway, and Kurt Schilling was pitching, and I thought, because this play couldn't happen anymore. Uh, there's some They're playing the Rangers. I don't remember who was on first base. And Schilling waited, 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 threw over. Guy dives back. Ball back to Schilling. Waited, 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 waited. Threw over. Guy dives back. Threw back to Schilling. <clears throat> Schilling sets and then immediately turns and gets the picks the guy off. Because mm-hmm. he timed him out twice. He's like sort of, and I was thinking, that was so rare that I still remember how great it was. Like, oh, that couldn't happen anymore. No, I couldn't. Do you, but do you miss that? No, no, no. I, I'm, I love the. I love. I love the pitch clock. Yeah, I. I don't even. Um, I, I will say I don't. And maybe this is a good thing. I don't seem to notice the base running elements of the new rules as much as I thought I would. And maybe I. I should look into this. Maybe pitchers just aren't throwing over as much. Period. Um. But I kind of anticipated that one of the effects of the new rules would be like a pitch, you know, a pitcher would throw over with a guy, you know, with a base dealer on first. And then all of a sudden there'd be like a heightened intensity. Ooh, is he going to throw over again? Can he throw over again? You know, if he throws over again and he doesn't get him, it's going to be like a guaranteed stolen base. Um, and at least I haven't experienced the game in that way yet. Maybe. Maybe I'm not paying attention to it. Maybe the announcers aren't doing a good enough job alerting the viewers when when that's happening. But I haven't really noticed much of a change in the base path. You know, I think that will change when the games actually start to get important. Not that they're not important, but pennant race, and especially in the playoffs, I think that could be a a pretty big deal. Yeah, late innings, pinch runner comes in. People are playing for one run now, but not nearly as often as they will later in the season. Right. And when that happens, I mean, in the playoffs, 
I agree with you. In the playoffs, that could be just unbelievably critical. And in a good way, could add some positive drama. And if not, who cares? It'll be faster. So we'll just get (laughs) positive drama faster. Yeah. I certainly don't miss pitchers throwing over, you know, three or four times and and one at bat. And I certainly don't miss them throwing over just because they want the catcher to throw down different signs and all the annoying stuff that we just put up yeah. for years i mean i do think using kurt Schilling in his example of someone who abused the system is like a perfect <laughs> that's a good point perfect like and like max scherzer who is Schilling-esque in some ways but like way like the good the competitive stuff and the gaming the system stuff part alone like mm-hmm. in spring training i know that he was messing around with the timing where if someone called a timeout, you're staying on the mound. And Sandy Alcantara did this the other day too, where when someone called the timeout, the pitcher, they just stand there. They're just ready. The second they step in, they throw it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, we'll see more of that, but I'd rather see the gamesmanship to make it go faster. But For most sure. importantly, the Red Sox are continuing to win, which is what I like. And, sure the Yankees, are. and the Yankees are not, I can't say they're not, they're just not as much. I wish I could take credit for predicting that the Yankees were going to be so thoroughly mediocre this year. Um, but they're not, but, they're four games above 500. I know. I know. <laughs> it's like, I know. They're, it's, like it's, it's wild. Like there's yeah. one team in the rest of the AL that, would not be in last place in yeah. the AL East. There was actually there there's a a short I, maybe it's still in effect today. It's probably not. A couple of days ago, um, there was a brief moment in time where, if you looked at the American League standings and with, you know with the East placed on top as it traditionally is, the ten teams in the American League East and the American League Central were actually perfectly ordered by record. Um. Because the last place team in the American League East had a better record than the first place team in the American League Central. So you literally could just look at the two top divisions and it just went right down one to ten. Yeah. This this you know what this dovetails with talks about you reading the newspaper, because that is a that is a straight up looking <laughs> at true. the standings like, oh look yeah. at that. It does, I, it it does. I can't I can't take credit for I can't take credit for being the one to notice that. I I did see it on Twitter. Um, but you know what though, now that you bring it up and again, like, like we talked about last weekend now, when you read the news, when you read the newspaper, you end up reading things that you normally wouldn't seek out. I'm certain like what, what you stunk to me with today in not knowing who led the league in WRC plus, you would know, uh, I mean, they wouldn't print WRC plus, but you would have an idea. Like I would know. I would know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that, because of that that back page of the sports section where it's just like the standings and the league leaders. I looked at that every day when I when I read a physical newspaper back back when I was a kid. Uh, so I always knew who led the league in steals, who led the league in wins. So, like I always knew all of that, and now I no longer do because of the internet. Man, the internet, the internet's done it's something. The worst it sucks, doesn't it? It's the worst worst. and the best. It's the best of times and the worst of times. 
Um, so speaking of things you love the Red Sox winning and things you hate, but also kind of love the internet. Do you have anything else? Or should we find out what you are angry about this week? Uh, we can find out what I'm angry about this week, but I'll tell you, it's going to be hard on the Friday people listen to this for me to be angry because the real heads know, and Dan will understand, it is I the release what date you, what are you talking about? for the sequel to The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. It comes out at midnight on the day people are listening to this. It will be out in the wild, and I promise you, you're going to be hearing about it whether you like it or not. Okay. We'll be this playing is, it. Uh, this is a video game? All right. Get to your stupid anger thing, yes. Okay. Well, go, go ahead. Continue. You keep talking. No, that's – I don't – I mean, I haven't played it, so I, I can't. I can't. But I'm just saying it's also the six-month anniversary of me getting my dog. So it's a big day. Oh, that's big. nice. Um, is it uh, is it for Super Nintendo, I presume? Are you kidding me? It's for the Nintendo <laughs> Switch. They just sold their billionth Switch, Dan. That's a lot of switches. Yeah. It's a lot of. Well, switches. I'm glad. I'm glad you're giving them more free advertising here. That's right. Next week, talk to the Nintendo people. See if hire me. Some cash our way. Hire me. <laughs> All right. So you're happy about that, but that's tomorrow, or that's mid. Are you going to go to the not, main line tonight? Not, no. Well, no. Or wait, is, this, is it now just something you download? I can. Is that how video games it. work these days? I can oh. download it, but they do have a party in Manhattan for like midnight release and apparently the tickets sold out so fast it like crashed their website just to the midnight release party so i'm 45 and i'm excited for this <laughs> all right i'm happy for you I we, we had to just because i'm not interested doesn't mean it doesn't have value with my kids we had to like arrange who was gonna play first <laughs> but my old daughter my daughter's gonna play first she's the oldest kid my son i had to be like okay look we're going to have a kid play first. She'll play and you guys can play together. And then, and then we'll go from there. But all right, let's get to, let's make me angry. I have to balance out this anger scale after last week's. Yeah. Week last week. Yes. Out of right. Yeah. Last week, your anger score was negative 999,999,981 and a half, which meant you were very happy. Um, so I don't the know scores if are made up, but the, and the points don't matter. <laughs> what matters more than happiness? Tell me that. Nothing. Oh, All right. So don't ask me that. <laughs> All right. So our first topic here. Uh, let's let's stick with the guy who was the main character of our of our first segment here, Jaron Duran. Brian Joyner, I don't know if you have followed this story, but as I said, Jaron Duran is better defensively. And this week, he was asked about his turnaround, and he gave he gave the secret to how he's improved defensively in center field. And remember, this guy really just, like, couldn't catch the ball at all last year or see the ball, really. He couldn't figure out where the ball was. Um, but he's been outstanding this year. Another, I don't another know nice if he's been outstanding. Well, okay, he's okay, been getting enough, to the enough. ball, but those roots are not always the – He's been getting the ball. He's been getting the ball. You're right. Some of, these, some of them may be – inefficient routes that end up looking fancy because he slides um which you know what i'm a fan of those anyway well, so no, anyway, but so, like you used to see him do that and be like he's not gonna get it and now i'm yeah. getting to the point where like okay he's gonna get it it just doesn't look great when you're watching him yeah. get there but as long as he gets there it's fine 
Um, well, here's how, and again, this is a guy who, as we all know, was uh, an infielder for his entire life through college and then was moved to the outfield pretty much as soon as the Red Sox drafted him. That was now five or six years ago. <laughs> He's been bad at the outfield the whole time. He is now at least okay. He says the secret to his turnaround is thanks to one Jackie Bradley Jr. And what's he doing? He's shagging baseballs. <laughs> Here's the exact quote. He, referring to JBJ, he always talked about how shagging is what helped him get better because he realized what balls he can get to and what balls he can't do, get to, Duran said. I just shagged. Duran added that the most important drill he did this past offseason to become an outfielder was with this high school baseball team. I would go back to my high school and I would just shag their BP, Duran said. And I would just be power shagging with them and communicating with them and hanging out with those guys. So Brian Joyner, are you angry, happy, or someone in between that apparently the thing that Jaron Duran was missing in his development to become an outfielder was practicing catching the ball? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's incredible, especially like power shagging. Just power yeah. shagging, bro. That- that was that was a JBJ thing. He would he would call it power shagging because he would you know instead of just standing out there like you know catching balls that went ten feet to each side of him, he would like pretend it was a game and go after every everything out there. So there you go. The secret to learning how to catch the ball in the outfield is practicing catching the ball in the outfield. I think that my anger is probably more with the Red Sox than it is with Jaron Duran on this one. Yes. Totally. How come no one tried this with him before? If he was walking around with his shoes untied for five years, you'd think someone would have told him to like practice tying his shoes. You would think so. All right, we're going with a nine. That's infuriating. <laughs> it's infuriating. Okay, pretty angry. Thank you, about JBJ. That. Yeah. I mean, we're happy he did it, but yeah. <laughs> okay, oh, right. oh, practicing. Yeah. <laughs> doing the thing that I'm asked to do. That's a good idea. <laughs> Holy moly. I did not expect that. All right. With high schoolers, too. When you That's said Jaron Duran, I was like, well, how am I going to be mad? Well, now I know. <laughs> All right. Well, topic number two. Jaron Duran. <laughs> Let's move to the other side of the ball. Oh, boy. How does Jaron Duran explain his offense improvement? Extremely similar story. Swap out JBJ, of course, because JBJ can't teach anybody how to hit. And swap in Dustin Pedroia. So Jaron Duran now credits Dustin Pedroia as being someone who really helped him turn around his approach at the plate and his swing. Jaron Duran's quote. He basically just told me, get your hands up. Be athletic. Act like you're going to hit the fucking shit out of the ball. Duran told Ken Rosenthal. For him to say that to me, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to buy in. <laughs> this one, this one, this one I like. This you like one this I like. one? Well, I like this one because I feel like there's a major difference between what he needed to do, like the level of competence he needed to achieve and exactly like what he needed to hear at that time. Where the athletic? JBJ, hit the ball hard? J, J, no, but like hitting the ball hard, that's a real thing. At like, And he's done that. Uh, his baseball savant page came up and his 
average velocity is like 90 or something. So he is pounding the ball, and he said also that he's been focused on driving the ball. And I think there's probably more to it than what Pedroia is talking. But at the same time, last week we talked about, like, what's the secret when you're in a slump? Oh, hit it the other way. Hit it the other way. Take it off and hit it the other way. Wisdom. Great wisdom. Um, So he – there's probably more to it than that. Whereas with JBJ, there isn't. It's just like a third catch the ball. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm like a negative four. Negative four. I'm happy, um, but I'm not overwhelmed because it is sort of Pablum, as you said. Yeah. He does kind of seem like I'm more is Jared Duran the baseball equivalent of Ron Burgundy? Where just like someone just tells him to do something and he immediately just goes and does it. And he's like, This is great. Maybe more like Zoolander, uh, but he uh, he definitely he might just be well media trained. Where he's like, okay, look, just talk about players that people really like, yeah, and just say they helped you. He's like, all right, great, did something to me. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I like I like my version better because that would also explain the vaccination stuff. Like he saw he saw one post on Facebook last year, and he was like, oh, well, I'm never getting vaccinated. And then just like after a year, someone was just like, hey, we should get vaccinated. And then he was like, you know what? I think I will. He just changed his mind like two years later. I don't know. I don't you know, know. There's, I... People talk about players getting serious and whatnot, and we can never really know what's going on. It does seem like there's, insofar as that can be true of certain people at certain times, let's hope that that's what we're seeing here if that's yeah. what he needed. Yeah, if I see him around the ballpark, I'm gonna I'm gonna test it out. I'll, if if he's like signing autographs for a game, I'm gonna be like, "Hey, Jaron, want to forget about the game and go get a drink?" And if he's like, "Yeah, that's a good idea," <laughs> then we'll then we'll have confirmation. No, Jaron, Jaron just okay. does everything. He's like, okay, I will. <laughs> All right, that's it for Jaron Duran. Uh, so so far, you are plus nine, plus nine, being happy about, or no? Yeah, but sorry, right? I got to remember plus is five. Yeah. I'm five angry. So you're at a plus five. That yeah, that means you're angry. Okay. All right. The next one. Uh Kenley Jansen saved his four hundredth game last night, becoming the seventh closer to do so. Three of the seven are already in the Hall of Fame. How do you feel about Kenley Jansen joining that list? Happy, mad? I don't know why you'd be mad, but I'm mad. So that's why I put it on the list. I'm kind of mad, but I put it on the list, but I'll let you go first. Zero, I don't care. You take the floor. Zero, you don't care. Okay. I'm not. I'm obviously not mad that he saved his 400th game last night. Nor am I mad that he is touching 99 on the gun and pitching better than he ever had. Um, but I am annoyed in general about the Hall of Fame talk because I was born on this hill. I will live on this hill. I will die on this hill. I truly do not believe that any closer should ever go into the Hall of Fame because I truly believe that at least one-third of all starting pitchers in Major League Baseball could all be elite closers if they wanted to do something that was easier and less important. Um, so that's my – I don't know where you stand on closers in the Hall of Fame. The list, by the way, the seven the seven players who have recorded 400 saves. Can I guess? Go for it. Lee Smith. You definitely know the first two. I mean, I'm not going to do it in any order, like okay. obviously. Lee Smith. Yeah. Yep. Rivera. Yep, he's number one. Trevor Hoffman. He's number two. Dennis Eckersley. 
Eckersley just missed. He is number 10 all time. I know Billy Wagner's not in the Hall of Fame, right? Correct. Uh, but actually, sorry, let me let, let me correct myself. Eck was Eck, Eck is number eight on the list. So he just missed 400. He's not, a, but he's number eight on the list. Billy Wagner is on the list as well. So you got that one. Um, and he and he is very close to making it. He got like over 60% of the vote last Oh, you're, so oh we're just talking 400. We're not talking in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Yeah. Only, only three are in the Hall of Fame right now. And you've actually already named them. And I've got four out of, you know, just tell me the other ones. You got Mo, you got Hoffman, Lee Smith, Billy Wagner, Eck is eight. So, and Kenley is one of them. So you're actually just missing two. Uh, Eck, sorry, sorry, sorry. You're missing three. Troy Percival? No. One of them you really know. I really know. Yep. Because he was on the Red Sox? Correct. Tom Gordon? No, 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 no. Tom Gordon spent oh, time as a starter. Kimbrell, yep, there you go. And then who's the last one? I'm going to give up. You're missing two. K-Rod also has 400. And then John Franco. It's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Franco, Franco's got a lot of, uh, especially like Mets team records that are just longevity yeah. related. Yeah, which yeah, I feel like get, proves yeah. my point about closers. Except for it doesn't because like... you're wrong. <laughs> Tell me. Is it you? There's no planet where Mariano Rivera doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. It just right, hold, on, hold on. Okay. Put Mo aside for a second, although we'll get back to Mo because there are a few things that piss me off more than that he of all people was the first one to get unanimously voted in the baseball Hall of Fame. Why? Who cares? Who cares? Okay. Who cares? It's true or, true or false. One third of all starting pitchers in Major League Baseball right now could be elite closers. Uh, And even I don't said, know even if, if don't I can answer third. that, but your point is taken. The point yes. is taken, even if I'm not going to pin it to that number. Yes. Every relief pitcher is a failed starter. Every one, or in Kenley Jackson's case, a failed catcher. But every one of them. They all start as starters. They all move to the bullpen because they can't do it. Yeah, I don't... like all the players on the diamond are failed shortstops, except for the ones who stick at shortstop. Yeah, okay, but then there's – but there aren't – it's not like every shortstop okay. in the major league can also Fine. be all okay. level center fielder. Apart from the fact that he – and I know on this podcast I talk a ton in New York because I've lived here forever and blah, 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 blah. But like <clears throat> even if he is like a Shohei Otani level exception, I'm not saying he is, to the other closers in his – I mean, the postseason has so much to do with it, right? Uh, right. Achievements. I don't see how you can have a representative baseball Hall of Fame and have him not in it. I don't care about I, Trevor Hoffman. I don't really care about Lee Smith. I really don't care about the others. I generally agree with you. I'm okay with Rivera being in the Hall of Fame because he is the greatest of all time and, and it's not particularly close. I don't think any of I don't think any of the others should be in, and it seems like we're rapidly approaching a period where John Smoltz is in the Hall of Fame, and and you know what, and that's that's another thing that actually annoys me, because if you look at John Smoltz's numbers as a starter, 
they're not they're not definite Hall of Fame numbers. They're pretty they're extremely similar to a lot of guys from his era who are considered borderline. Mike Messina, like Kurt Schilling, like his numbers as a starter aren't that great. And Mike Messina has to fight tooth and nail to get in. Kurt Schilling's not getting in for other reasons, but even even the extracurriculars of, of you know uh, from Kurt Schilling aside, before the extracurricular stuff with him popped up, there are still people saying he's he's borderline. But Smoltz not only wasn't borderline, Smoltz sailed in on the first ballot, and the only difference in his career was because he had a dumb little three or four year stint where he was a dominant closer again because. And at least one quarter to one third of every starter could be an elite starter, an elite closer. John Smoltz well, is a pretty good starter. Of course he was. Of course he, he was. Pitched but like put put his starting pitch forty innings yes. a year. No, no, no. I, no. I'm not saying he wasn't. But put his starting numbers up against Mike Messina's, and then explain to me why Smoltz sailed into the Hall of Fame. Well, compared to Mike, should, Messina. Mike Messina should be in the Hall of Fame. But that's the only difference. The only it's difference. It's not the only explain. difference. It's not. It is. The I'm only telling difference. you. What? Well, there's no. I'm telling you. There's no other difference between their careers except Smoltz years as a closer, and that's what everyone talked about when he was. Oh, the the only guy to win blah 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 games and save blah 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 games. Okay, but you know like what? who cares? Because they all could do it if they wanted to. You know what? I again, I need to retract. Yeah. The, the difference is that Mussina's numbers might be better, but that's, I don't think that's an <laughs> yes. argument against Smoltz. It's not an argument against Smoltz, but it's, it's an argument if, if for closers and saves being stupid and we give them all. Saves are, saves are stupid. I am not arguing that because if it's just safe <clears throat> compiling, it doesn't really mean anything. Right. Like Tim Wakefield has, a bunch of saves. Derek Lowe has a bunch of saves. That doesn't mean they're the ones you would want pitching, given your druthers in the uh, in the ninth inning. Derek Lowe is a lights out closer. For you. There's there's another there's an alternate timeline where Derek Lowe never returns to the rotation and just spends 15 years as a really good closer and is is on that top 10 list of four hub saves leaders. And gets Hall of Fame votes. That's fine. Again, my argument is with the singular character of Rivera. And if you have objections to anyone else going in who was strictly a closer or a reliever, that's fine. But I think that Rivera is just unimpeachable. And yes, it's annoying that he was the guy who was the unanimous vote because there's lots of signifiers with him that go be off, beyond the baseball field and whatever. But I mean, if you, at if least you the think... seal is bro- at least the seal is broken, so the way it yeah. could happen again, so we don't have to care about it anymore. No, that's exactly, true. exactly. But like in terms of act, so Jared Duran can go in. Uh, <laughs> so Duran Duran in yes. We don't have to worry about. Oh no, he's the first. <laughs> All right. So, do you have anything else to say about Kenley Jansen? You're zero on that. Not happy, not angry about him getting sworn at safe. That's fair. Really, ha- I'm having nothing to do with that. I'm just happy with how good he's been this year. So, all right, moving from one guy who's probably not going to make the Hall of Fame to another guy who's probably not going to make the Hall of Fame, Nick Pavetta. 
This is our last one, by the way. Um, so make this one count. Nick Pavetta uh, was really, really bad this week against the Braves. He's been pretty bad most of the season. And he was asked about potentially being moved to the bullpen after the start. Here is what he said. I don't really understand what you're saying, but I'm just going to continue to do my job. I've started for this team my whole entire career. I'm going to continue to do that. By the end of the year, I'm going to continue to do that, and next year and the year on out. That is Nick Pavetta on being asked. So I, I, I wanted to that, – that's his quote about being moved to the bullpen. Here's the actual question, just to be fair. So the question was, with the team getting back to full strength and decisions are going to be made, do you feel like this is kind of the point where it's auditions to stay in the rotation? That was the question, Nick Pavetta's response. I don't really understand what you're saying but I'm just going to continue to go out and do my job. I've started for this team my whole entire career. I'm going to continue to do that. By the end of the year, I'm going to continue to do that. And then the next year and the year on out. Yeah, he seems a little bit defensive there, Nick. Sure does. It definitely seems like he's like, why aren't you asking Tanner Houck this question? Go ask him this question. Uh, But I don't – it's – he definitely (laughs) – Seems to be feeling the pressure. And look, it came after a bad start, right? So, of course, he's not going to be in the best mood. But reminded me a little bit of Garrett Richards a couple years back. Yes. When he, same thing. He's like, I know what I can do. I go out there and I can throw innings for these guys. And everyone's like, dude, your innings suck. Well, then, with the, like, Garrett Richards is fine. And then they did the sicky stuff uh, rules. And then Garrett Richards could not pitch anymore. That's for sure. Yeah, it's pretty night and day. So yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, am I angry about it? No, I'm a zero. I don't feel anything for Nick Pavetta again. It just I cannot oh. feel anything for Nick Pavetta. But, that is kind of appropriate for him, right? You know. So, but at the same time, that's uh, that might be a tell. That sounds like it might be a tell. Uh, of of how he feels he might or might not <clears throat> fit in going forward on this. The one thing I, the one objection I have to make with the reporter's question is that the Red Sox will be back to full strength. When have they ever been at full strength? Especially yeah. if by that, what you mean is James Paxton pitching. Right. <laughs> this is, we'll see. And then there's also the, you know, is James James Paxton presumably would be on the Chris Sale like program of we want you to continue to pitch. It's more important than you being like going all out, trying to be great and screwing yourself over. But at the same time, the Red Sox pitching staff is built with these sort of like layered contingencies with swingman types and it's built like that for a reason to withstand injuries that haven't, I mean, Whitlock aside, haven't really cropped up just yet, but they will. Yeah. It will be interesting to see. I mean, like, like you said about the spring, I mean, there already are two long men out in the bullpen who've been outstanding. Josh Winkowski and, and Cutter Crawford. Winkowski, as we just established, has a higher B war than Raphael Devers right now. Um, so is there even room for Pavetta out there? Does, cause he's, 
I mean, look, he's obviously not going to be happy about being bumped to the bullpen in general. And then if they further tell him that, like, oh, you're going to be a one-inning guy, and so he won't even necessarily be stretched out and put in a position where he can bounce back in the rotation quickly if need be. Who gets – who? okay, I. who do you think – if they were going to DFA one player or cut him, whatever, <clears throat> do you think it's more likely Kluber or Pravetta? Um, I would say it's more likely Kluber. Uh, okay. Pavetta, theoretically, I mean, I mean, Kluber is on a, well, I guess Kluber is on a two-year deal. I was going to say he's on a one-year deal, but that's actually not true. The I Garrett Richards thing, re- like, this is really reminiscent of the Garrett Richards. At the same time of year, too. I think the same general progression this season, he was yeah. on the Sox. And uh, the reason you have a guy like Pavetta is that, and this is the last year of his contract, right? Good question. I think it is. So, talking, like, look it up. so you can cut bait at the end of the contract and you have Kluber who's like same sort of guy and you don't have to pay him for not pitching. He has one more year of arc left, by the way. Okay, so, so. so then probably Kluber, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I if it were me, I would cut Kluber for sure. I don't. Yeah, I know. Like we, like but you seen... also, but you were also thought the new bases were going to ruin the game. <laughs> I didn't. What are you talking? Yeah, oh about? my god, you were so upset about the new bases. I'm upset about them aesthetically. I think oh. they look too big, but I, I, I appreciate the need for them. Okay. What are you talking about right now? <laughs> I'm making stuff up to make you look <laughs> I did. I did feel better about myself. <laughs> I am making stuff up to bring you down. Yeah. I'll just make that very clear. Yes. Okay. I was super excited about the new bases. I, when those first pictures came out, I was a little, I was a little worried that they That's just fair. look too goofy. That's fair. But, but you know, I don't you, like same thing. I haven't noticed the bases looking outrageously large at all. That's fair. All right, so that's it. So you are at a plus five for the week. That means you're kind of angry. Does yeah. that match how you feel? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It sure does. <laughs> okay. But then again, right. by the time people have listened to this, I will be knee deep in Zelda, so it yeah. won't. What if know. the game sucks? Well, I do have this slight fear that, I mean, the the. Are you a Daft Punk fan? No. I wouldn't call myself a fan. I'm familiar with their work. So their their last, and I mean it was their final album, was Random Access Memories that they had this, and it was like 10 years after their last album. And they really planned the promotions very carefully. Like they had a little 10 second or 15 second ad on Saturday Night Live. It was just a little snippet. And then at like Coachella, they had a longer version, like a minute long. And it was this perfectly executed uh, campaign for what was expected to be this next masterwork from, uh, from this group. And in fairness to them, it was, but that had really nothing to do with the thing itself. <laughs> They're like the advertising for it and the the game that we're talking about. The game might not be as good as 
everyone wants it to be, but that's what happens when the game you are the sequel to is literally IGN's number one <laughs> video game of all time. It's just, that's a really hard bar to, to reach. So it probably, it almost certainly won't reach that bar. I, and I, I have had the worry. It's like, what if it's, it's just too much, but you should. I'll, we'll, I'll know. I'll know soon. Yeah, this is a, this is a good opportunity for you to practice one of our off season exercises of negative visualization. Just, until get, midnight tonight. Just just imagine all the ways the game could be really bad. And then if I, it is, you'll be prepared for it. If it's not, you'll be happy. The the one thing I fear and I sort of get the sense of is that it does seem to be more complicated than the previous one. And given that like the previous one is has brought my kids and I together in a way that's true of like Harry Potter for some families or Star Wars for others. I fear it might be too complicated for them. But you fear that it's going to drive your family apart? Uh, well, if so, uh, actually, we I started playing Zelda after my family split apart. So there you go. <laughs> Enough about that. <laughs> Anything else or should we talk about this weekend series? Let's talk about this weekend series, a new segment right. that we're trying to remember to do. But first, this quick break. Oh, yeah. 50 minutes into the show. Let's take a break. We're back. We're going to talk about the upcoming series. Who are they playing, Dan? I don't even know. St. Louis Cardinals. Are oh, good. That's exactly what I want to say right now. The imploding... Abject disaster of a team. Oh, yes. Perfect. I love this. Uh, you want to guess the St. Louis Cardinals record? How many games have they played? So I can. They have played. I know. You know what I did? 38. 38 games. 16 and 22. 13 and 25. Oh, I love it. Than you thought. I love it. Oh, I love it. The pitching matchups are Team USA ace Adam Wainwright. (laughs) who has an ERA over seven this year, takes the hill on Friday night against James Paxton. Saturday, Stephen Matz versus Chris Sale. And Sunday, it's the Sunday night game. This is the Sox for, although I, I don't even know if it's on ESPN right now. The Sunday night games like haven't been on ESPN for some reason, but it is the seven o'clock Sunday night game. I hate the Sunday night game now. I hate it. Really? Why? I used to love it. Now I hate it. Why do you I don't want to stay up game? late. I want to watch baseball in oh. the afternoon on Sunday. Well, but now we have the pitch clock to to you know keep things in check. My body clock keeps things in check by putting me to sleep. All right. Well, and it's also a seven o'clock and seven eight o'clock start. Oh, that's fair. That's fine. Miles Mikolas versus Corey Kluber, whose name for some reason I wrote on my I spelled his name uh, on his notes with a K instead of a C. <laughs> Um, maybe that's a sign that Corey Kluber is going to have a big strikeout night against the Cardinals. Um, so what do you think, what do you think is going to happen? Give me a, give me a prediction for the series. Uh, who's going to win the series and tell me one thing that's going to happen. Man, we got some old guys out there on the mound. Huh? We really do. Paxton Sale, Kluber, Wainwright. That is, All pitching in the same series. That is crazy. I, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> say the Red Sox sweep. I mean, the Cardinals are a tire fire right now. Yeah, sure. I know it's 
foolhardy to predict a sweep, but I would say two to one because you just don't want to predict a sweep. Is no, the Red Sox are. Uh, they lost. Uh, they lost to the Braves, but the Braves are really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're good, and like it's it. This is ex- this is great. I mean, first of all, this is like that one year that the Yankees were bad in like 1990. Like just when the Cardinals are up in flames, just don't be afraid to look straight at it. You won't <laughs> like, it's like a, it's like a double rainbow. Soak it in really soak it in. Cause it won't last. Uh, this is also going to be the first like really nice weather home series. The Sox have had. Tomorrow night, Friday and Saturday are both going to be in the 80s. Um, probably not at night for Friday night, but still. So, like this, this so could perfect. be. So it'll be perfect at night. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be like this could be like the weekend that Fenway like comes alive for the summer. Yeah, I'm. Uh, this this could be, this could be really wonderful. And this is, look, we talked about this a lot, and it's it's worth repeating. When the Yankees are four games above 500 and in last place, it is so nice to play the AL East less often. Yeah, this it's is, nice. I, yeah, of course. Really, like it's, I don't. It's, it's unbelievable that it took Major League Baseball this long to do this, but I'm excited. I love the fact that we're going to play the Dodgers every year and play the Padres every year, and there's and now we have. A legitimate rivalries in baseball have really been crystallized over the last 20 years, I think, by the division structure, right? Like it's it, you have a divisional rival and, you know, every every team pretty much has like one principal divisional rival. And then you learn to hate the other team. I've certainly come to hate the Rays over the past 20 years. I don't hate the Jays, um, but, you know, I could we could get there over the next couple of years. But like I like the possibility that maybe we can start hating the Dodgers based on regular season results and not just meeting them in the World Series once. You know, I was talking with the kid the, the parents at pickup and all the Yankees fans here, I, I've told I've said this before, they all hate the the Astros way more than the Red Sox right now. Like yeah. just it's not it's not close. It's not even in the same stratosphere. And <clears throat> I don't know that the opposite is true, but it is better. You're it's just better to play every team to have actual because you know the when the mechanics of teams rubbing each other the wrong way are sort of alchemic, and you just never know what's gonna right. do it. Right. And when it happens, it's fantastic. You want them to care, and it's hard to care. Even if these teams are like in 2004, the Red Sox and the Yankees, it's like, you know, 2003, 2004, that is the absolute peak of any two teams in the uh, unbalanced schedule era. Like mm. really just hating each other. That's the absolute peak. Outside of those years, it is impossible to keep up the level of intensity for 19 games <clears throat> against four different teams. You just mm. lose this sense you lose a sense of novelty and interest when it just, it's the same shit over and over. And frankly, it's good for the teams in smaller markets who can use more visits from the Red Sox, from the Yankees, from the Cubs, from the Cardinals, from the Dodgers, you know, 
et cetera, et cetera. So I'm all for it. I, I think. And again, this is a, this is a perfect example of how it like is actually helping the Red Sox this year. Oh, we're going to go play the 13 win Cardinals right now. Or we're, we're sorry. We're hosting them instead of doing hosting the Blue Jays, you know, for yet another three game series. All right. I'll say, I'll say that the Sox take the series, but only two to one. Coward. Um, Coward. For, for exactly the reason that you said, just because you don't ever want to predict. I did predict the sweep with Keaton earlier this year against, against the Tigers. Um, but I'm going with two and one in this time. The other thing too, I was, you know, talking about how Fenway is going to come alive. Is that the Cardinals fans do always pack Fenway. They really, really do. Um, so there will be a lot of Cardinals fans in attendance. Not that that matters much on the baseball field, but um, it'll be fun. I think it'll be a fun weekend. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we're not used to seeing Cardinals fans in states of agitation. That's not really their default setting. It really reminds me of Red Sox fans at Yankee Stadium back in the day. Mm. Like if you're walking in there like, yeah, we beat your ass in the World Series twice. Recently, obviously, they yeah. got us before. But – and you suck. And, <laughs> and like, yeah, yeah. And you're going to show up to down. get to get harassed. Yeah. All right. I'm going to make one. Here's my one bold prediction for the series. One thing. Just looking at the three games, what's one thing that's going to happen? Tomorrow night, James Paxton is going to come out and strike out the side in the first inning. He is then going to give up four earned runs in the second I don't know. I think they're still going to win that game. It'll be it'll be another late night Friday night magic. Um, but that's my prediction. You have uh, you want to predict anything that's going to happen in this series? That's a pretty good one. I got to give you that. Let me think. Let me think of something neat that could happen. How about Rymel Tapia big home run? Ooh! I'm not going to tell you the day. Big home run. In keeping with the Jaron Duran theme, is it going to be an inside the park home run? Ooh, see, see, see. This is why you're better at this exercise than I am, because that would be nice. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Duran, the way he's swinging the bat at Fenway, he, him and Tapia, but the way Duran is hitting it. There are some inside the park home runs waiting to happen. Duran might frankly be hitting the ball too hard. That that, that was the one thing I was thinking. The ball's off the wall before he touches first. He's hammering the goddamn ball. He really is, but he's he's really fast. That would be nice. What a what a what a moment of closure that would be for Jaron Duran if he could if he could hit an inside the park home run with Rymel Tapia on base. Or I guess probably you know what? Well, I mean, Tapia probably wouldn't be ahead of him. So let's say let's say this with with Todd, with Tapia on deck, Jaron Duran hits an inside the park home run, and Tapia is the first guy there to greet him. There and then he That's, also hits an inside the park home run. Yeah, and then he hits an inside the park home run. Jaron Duran, that I'm gonna, I'll I'll write this for you if you want. That's going to be the story you tell to open your Hall of Fame speech in Cooperstown one day. There you go. Got any recommendations? I do have one recommendation. Um, it's it's kind of a basic one because it's getting a lot of buzz. But have you heard of this TV show, Jury Duty? No. Okay, good. I'm glad you have it. So I'm going to explain the deal with it and my specific experience with it because 
the way I experienced it is the reason why I'm recommending it. Um, it is essentially a mockumentary um, about a fictionalized uh, jury, you know, on, on, on a court case. Is this and the one that has James Marsden in it? This is the one that has I've James Marsden. I've seen Marsden. clips from it. I, I didn't know it was an actual show. I thought it was just a skit. Okay, so, so let me explain something to you then, um, because I misunderstood what it was. If you start it, you won't. So I will, I'm, I'm going to spoil something for you, but I'm literally just spoiling the concept of the show that anyone who watches it from the start will know. I, did see the, I didn't watch it from the start. My wife was watching it. I came in like 10 minutes into the show. I just sat down. It just seems like a, you know, it seems like a light, fluffy comedy mockumentary, right? It, and I'm watching it. I'm like, this is good enough for what it is. It's not great but it's good enough for what it is. Um, James Marsden is the only person you would recognize. He's the only established actor and he does a very good job in it. Of playing himself, correct? Of playing himself. Yeah. An exaggerated, exaggerated version of himself. Um, but there's another guy in the show. I'm watching it. And I'm like, James Marsden is good, but I'm like, there's this other guy. And I'm like, this guy is fucking stealing the show. And I've never seen him before. But he's so good. And I'm sitting there watching him. And I'm like, I'm saying to myself, is this like the best new actor on TV right now? Because he's so genuine. He doesn't even look like an actor. He's not, he's not like ugly or anything. He just, he's a good looking guy. But like, he just looks, he looks like such a regular guy. And he's, and he's kind of, he's charming in a way. He's not like Marsden charming. But he's definitely the type of guy that like, you know, he's, he would be nice to talk to. And the whole time, I'm like, who is this guy? So I look him up, and it turns out, Joyner, <laughs> that this show is not actually just a mockumentary. The whole concept of the show is that it's a fake trial, but everyone but this guy knows that. <laughs> so this guy, who I found so magnetic because I couldn't believe like how real and genuine he was coming across, that's because he's just like an electrician in California. <laughs> And he actually is a real genuine guy. And it's everyone else in the show is an actor except for him. And I didn't know that. Like I said, when I first watched the first episode and a half, I was just like, okay, this is fine. And now that I know that, it's, it's much more interesting. And I'm kind of having this revel like revelation about, like, what, what is acting? <laughs> because, because I was blown away by this guy for the first two episodes because I thought he was, like, the best actor in the world. And it turns out, like, he was just so much better because he wasn't acting at all. And so maybe all acting is actually really bad. That's maybe he is That's... the best actor in the world. Well, so there's now, there's now this thing. People are really loving him. Um, because like I said, he is charming in his way. I mean, he's just a dude. He's a total dude, but he's like a nice guy. And I mean, they, look, they obviously cast that, you know, he's not a rando off the street. They, the, the producers of this show went out looking for a type. And they found him and they put him in the show. And so, you know, it, it, the only reason why the show works is because he is in real life. Like, he's the type of guy, he is connecting to all the other jurors in the box, in a way. Like, he's, he talks to everybody. He listens to everybody. Like, he's a nice guy. That's what makes it a good show. Um, and so people have really fallen in love with him. And now there's people lobbying, saying that, like, he should be nominated for the Emmys. And real actors are saying, well, like, wait, <laughs> he's literally not <laughs> – acting we can't do this and i'm sure he's not going to be nominated but it's apparently a little controversy now whether he should be uh the the i promise let's go somewhere the uh f1 just had the race in miami last weekend 
And before the race, the F1 commented, because everybody's out where the cars are right before the race starts, including celebrities. And they're all just like hobnobbing right until the race is about to start. And so at, at the Sky Sports crew, the British crew, has this guy, Martin Brundle. He's a former racer, I believe. He goes and talks to people and celebrities. And especially in America, where he doesn't know celebrities, he gets them wrong often. And this week, he went up to Marsden and said, because he heard Roger Federer was around, and he went up to Marsden. I was like, hey. <laughs> I mean, they kind of look alike, but James Marsden is much better looking than Roger Federer. Yeah, it's very capable. And also, Roger Federer is one of the most well-recognized athletes in our lifetime. Yeah, they both have extremely distinct faces. That even yeah. though they all they kind of look similar, I they got the hair. They got reasons. like their hair is really that's the, it. Yeah, it's just the hair and the skin tone, really. Roger Federer wasn't on any Thirty Rock. Let me tell you that much. Marsden forever, baby. Uh, my recommendation is Brooks shoes. I don't know if you run or walk. Do you walk? Have you ever walked? I think you I, have. I, I do some walking. Yeah. And I found many years ago after I went to Discount Shoe Warehouse, and it's the only time I've ever seen Brooks there because they're like a boutique running brand. And I got this pair. I was like, this is the only shoe that I've ever had that doesn't make my back hurt. And I have only worn them since then, but my my recent pair got very, very worn down. And I finally got a new one, and I forgot just how glorious the new pair of Brooks Adrenaline is. So buy, buy Brooks shoes if you have the money. If not, okay. don't. I've never even heard of them. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. It's like they, they're a very rare company these days in that like they do one thing and they do it very well and they don't expand. Like we make running shoes. That is it. And they're awesome. That's my recommendation. Good to Dan, you got anything else? You got anything else before we uh, abscond so I can go play my little video game? I don't think I do. I think that's it. All right. Well, this has been Monsters of Socks. We have a logo now. Red Sox are going to sweep the Cardinals. You heard it here first. We'll be back next week to talk more. The Boston Red Sox, Dan. Have a good one. Take care.